there to page eight, we'll be looking at those words as we're thinking about preparing the way this morning with, with sincere, sincere repentance. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, on Black Friday, this is already two weeks ago, I, I went to church because I thought at church, at least at church, I won't be distracted because I needed to, to finish this sermon for today. And I sat down at my computer, opened up my word processor, ready to, to focus for the next couple of hours, and immediately after I began to think about this sermon, and I even started to write on the page, I received a text message. And I looked at it, and I read it, and I read it, and I thought, I'm just going to respond to this text right away, and then I'll get back to work. Sat down again, composed myself, okay, this time I'm going to write my sermon. Ding. Again, they had responded. I thought, well, now they know that I can respond. So, so I'm going to go ahead and answer this text message and then write my sermon again. And I sat down again to compose myself, collect my thoughts, and begin to write the sermon. Well, a little bit later, I received a phone call, and I thought, well, I haven't talked to this person for, for a really long time. I, I'm going to take this phone call get off the phone a half hour later. What am I supposed to be doing again on Black Friday? Oh, that's right. I'm here here to write a sermon. Well, I arrived at church at 2 p.m. Now it's 7 p.m. on Friday night, and I'm still at church. And I have a sermon that is confused and distracted and isn't logical at all. It's done. But it's distracted. And it's a sermon written by a distracted sermon. So I resolved myself, I have to rewrite this thing completely. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to lock myself into the basement of my house, turn off my cell phone, and refuse to check email. And then, maybe then, I'll be able to offer a sermon that makes sense to God's people on a Sunday morning. I don't think that I am the only distracted person in this world. We live in an age of technology. That's what people call it, the age of technology. But some people have begun to call it the age of distraction. Now, human beings have always been distracted, but never has distraction been so easy. Distraction is as easy as clicking on the TV remote. It's as easy as pulling the iPhone right out of your pocket. In fact, people say, I don't know if this is true, but a study was done that says that people will respond to email usually within six seconds of when it's been written. So you at least check it right away. I don't think that I have to spend much time this morning proving that we live as very distracted people. In fact, it it might, even in church maybe, we find it rarely possible to concentrate and pay attention to 
to an entire sermon, but maybe that's more my fault than yours. We are almost universally and utterly a distracted person. That's not surprising to any of you this morning, but what might be surprising is this. We want it that way. We want to be distracted. Uh, one time I asked my wife, I asked her if it would be alright if I, if I share this. I, I asked my wife, why in the world you have all the dings and buzzes to be set off on your iPhone? You know what she said? Because I like it that way. She wants to be distracted. Think about this. What happens when you sit down to relax in your home? What happens immediately? The TV goes on. You want to be distracted. When you have a moment in your car, what happens? First of all, you turn on the radio. When you have a moment to yourself, the first thing that you do is pull out your iPhone to distract yourself. We want to be distracted. There's, there's a lot of things that I don't like about what Nietzsche said, but I agree with him when he says this. He wrote, we labor at our daily work more ardently and thoughtlessly than is necessary to sustain our life. Because it is even more necessary not to have leisure to stop and think. Haste is universal because everyone is in flight, this is important, in flight from himself. I think it's right. It's very simple to understand why we want to be distracted. It is easier. It's always going to be easier to pull out the iPhone in your pocket than to think about your struggling marriage. It's always going to be easier to turn on the TV and watch something funny than to think about mom being sick and getting old. It's always going to be easier to check your Facebook stream then think about that job that you really don't want to go to tomorrow, that you desperately need it. It is easier to distract yourself, but never healthier. There is a cost, a high cost to all this distraction. We, we could talk this morning about all the people that are now dead because someone had to respond to that text message while driving. We could talk about the cost to relationships when a husband or a wife would rather play with their iPhone than talk about the person they marry that's sitting across the table from them. But today we're not going to talk about those costs. We're going to talk about the cost to our relationship with God. Because here's the truth. I think this is really true. We never quiet ourselves long enough to sit with God. We never quiet ourselves long enough to do some spiritual introspection. We never quiet ourselves long enough to confess our sins. We never quiet ourselves long enough and sit with the Lord. I really mean sit with Him to repent. And that's a huge spiritual cost. It might cost us being unprepared 
for the Lord's coming. We're going to do something this morning that is rather uncomfortable for people today. And that is that we are going to sit with the Lord. We're going to turn off our cell phones and go to a place where there is no cell phone reception. We're going to go to the middle of the desert and the only distraction that there is going to be for us in the middle of that desert where there is no cell phone reception is the voice of John the Baptist. And we're going to listen to what he has to say. Mark thinks it's important that we would consider the voice of John the Baptist this morning. Did you notice that this is the very beginning of his book? He doesn't begin his book with a nice, cuddly, warm Christmas story about the baby Jesus being born in a stable. No, he begins his book in a much more confrontational way in the book of Mark. He begins by saying to you and to me, you're not ready. You are not ready for the Lord to come. You are not ready for Christmas. And because you're not ready, I'm going to send you some forerunners. John the Baptist. Malachi said he would come. So did Isaiah. He promised it. Listen to what he says. Mark thinks. In many ways, John the Baptist is a complete repudiation of our iPhone, Facebook, Netflix world. He's out there. Even the manner and mode of his living is a repudiation of this world. Mark describes him in this way. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So in a sense, even before he spoke a word, and he's going to speak a word to us in a moment, but even before he spoke a word, he is repudiating our modern distracted culture. He's out in the middle of the desert, and he's wearing uncomfortable clothes, durable clothes, we would say, but uncomfortable clothes, and he's eating what he can find, grasshoppers and honey, the Bible says. And he speaks a message that we need to hear today. Mark describes his message, this powerful message in this way. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance. If we're going to understand why John dressed and ate the things that he ate, we need to understand the word repentance. Now, now repentance, a lot of times in our minds, is equated with a change in behavior. But repentance has nothing to do with the change in behavior. Repentance is two parts. You're going to remember this from catechism class. Repentance is contrition and faith. Repentance is always an attitude of the heart. Contrition is an attitude of the heart. Contrition says, Lord, what I did, the words that I said, was wicked and violent, and I, it hurt not only my neighbor, but I offended you by what I did. And I'm sorry for that. Forgive me. That's contrition. That's the first part of repentance. The second part of repentance is faith. Faith, too, is an attitude of the heart that says, 
Lord, I recognize my inborn sinfulness. I, I recognize the wickedness of my life. But I trust in your grace. I trust in, my, in your mercy. I know that's why you came, to take my sin away. I trust you. This is repentance, contrition, and faith. If we're also going to understand the mode of John the Baptist's living and also his message, we're going to need to understand his purpose. And, and Mark tells us exactly why John the Baptist came. He came for one reason, and one reason only, and that was to prepare you for the coming one. He says, after me will come, will come more, one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. In, in John's time, a disciple was willing to do many things for his teacher, for his master, for his rabbi. But one thing they would never do, because they were too high in society, was wash somebody's feet or mess with their sandals. That was a slave job. It was a slave's job. That was his work to stoop down and untie and wash somebody's feet. And that's why it was so shocking that Jesus would get down to deal with his own disciples' feet. So do you understand what John the Baptist is saying? He's saying, I'm not worthy to be this person's disciple. You know what? I'm so sinful that, that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I can't even touch his, his feet. And if John the Baptist says that, the greatest prophet to ever walk the face of the earth, the Bible says, how much more do we need to say that? This is John the Baptist's message, one of repentance. I, I have a pastoral concern for for each one of you as individuals and for this congregation. And I'm going to say this because I love you. I am concerned that you are too distracted. I'm concerned that you are too distracted with your iPhones and your Netflix that you don't bring yourself to repentance. You know, how often, let me ask you this question, how often do you use flight mode on your phone, or, or just turn it off, because there's an off button on that phone, and just sit with the Lord, confessing your sins. How often do you turn off the radio while you're in the car, or leave the TV off, so you can sit the, with the Lord and quiet yourself, and confess your sins, and say, Lord, these are my failings, this these are my worries. This is my anxieties. This is what I'm doing wrong in my life. And trust me when I say it. It is always going to be easier to play a game on your iPhone than to repent. It's always going to be easier to turn on Netflix and watch your favorite show. It is always going to be easier to listen to your favorite music while you sit on your subway. But it is never, ever healthier. As we get quiet with the Lord and we begin 
to sit with him in, in this time of repentance because that's what Advent really is. I have some, some practical suggestions from you from a distracted pastor who also lives in this distracted world. And it's first of all this, this very simple suggestion. You could have a tech-free zone in your house. Or you could learn to use the off button on your phone, maybe a tech-free time every day. So you can sit with the Lord and never be distracted and confess your sins and repent. Because that's what John the Baptist is calling us to do. John the Baptist also has some practical suggestions for you this morning as you think about time for repentance. He gives us some healthy suggestions and a healthy direction. He always calls us to repentance within our vocations. You notice that about John the Baptist? When the soldiers asked John the Baptist, what should we do? He said, don't abuse your authority. When the tax collectors asked John the Baptist, what should we do? He said, don't take too much money. So this morning, as you think about repentance, you can repent within your own vocation. So, husbands, husbands, you can ask yourself, are you sacrificing and loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Or are you ruling your household like a tyrant? Wives, you can ask yourself this question, are you loving and respecting your husband, or would you rather battle with him? Employees, you can ask yourself this question. Are you working to the utmost of your ability while you're on the clock, or are you being lazy? Bosses, you can ask yourself the question. Are you abusing those who are under your authority, or or are you caring for them? Everyone can ask themselves the question this Christmas season. Are you being generous with your money, with your church? with the poor in society? Or would you rather spend your money on yourself? When you look at all locations in your life, you will find a need to repent. And when you find it, repent, which means two things, contrition and faith in the gospel, because that is why Jesus came, to give you grace and forgiveness. As a sign of the times, a sign of the times that we are living in an age of distraction, have you noticed that philosophers and psychologists have begin to talk, begun to talk about, about mindfulness? And, and people have begun to talk about, about focus. As a sign of the times, have you noticed that, that yoga is becoming popular and, and meditation and, and being transcendent. But let me tell you this, Christianity has a better answer, a more ancient answer. It's called repentance. It requires a daily drowning of the sinful nature. It requires a daily practice of your baptism. It requires getting real and honest with God about who you are and what you have done and trusting in his grace. But think about, think about the benefits of repentance. Living in repentance will bring to you a Christmas like never before. 
Because this year at Christmas, imagine it with me, you will have the candles flickering, the TV off, and your heart will be contemplating the manger. And you will know what you have done wrong, but you will trust in the rescue that God has provided. And let me ask you this question, as, you, as that is your new Christmas, how is your relationship with God going to be blessed when that is the case? How will your relationship with other people be blessed when that is the case? I'm convinced that this would be a Christmas to remember. The age of distraction. God's answer to it is quiet and sincere repentance. Amen.